0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a rainy day in a rather deserted city of Westminster as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Challoner, and I'm joined on the programme today by Doug Straharchik. Doug is the Chief Executive and Managing Director of AQR International, a supplier of leading-edge psychometrics and leadership and management training based in Cheshire. Doug, welcome to the programme, and it's great to have you on the air with us today.
1: Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you for the introduction. And I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Likewise, Doug, and thanks ever so much uh, for your time in uh, coming onto the programme to speak with me today. Um, So the purpose of this podcast, first and foremost, is to gather together a variety of distinct leadership perspectives, um, as I mentioned there, and... It's fair to say that leadership is something that's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it, with the outbreak of COVID-19 and business leaders having to feel their way through that and guide their firms through the uh, the crisis. Tell me, for somebody in your line of work, how has it actually been trying to navigate the last few weeks? Because I can imagine it has posed a considerable challenge.
1: Well, it has. um, And it does represent a major challenge for leadership. Um, When you're in a leadership role, good leadership is expected to understand what direction you should be taking the business in, uh, what's, how you should be guiding and leading the the people in your organization. And for a while, there was a huge amount of uncertainty. We had something that happened about which we knew very, very little. And so for a short while, we were pretty much out of control. And it's probably fair to say we're not totally in control yet. So One of the challenges for somebody in a leadership role is to be able to say, okay, this has happened, but this is where the opportunity lies. Let's go there. You can't always, at this point in time, see where it is. So it's a challenge for many leaders in many organizations, and we have a lot of people in senior leadership roles coming to us for support, help, and guidance. Fortunately, from our own perspective, because this is so central to our work, um, we have managed to sort of weather the storm really well and our business is doing quite nicely, thank you.
0: Are you finding that leaders that are approaching you are coming under quite an awful lot of pressure? Because I think there's a lot of pressure on leaders to provide all of the answers all of the time, especially when there are a lot of employees who may be a little bit um, worried about the future. But amid all of the uncertainty, even business leaders aren't going to be able to project the future. Of course, they have to be proactive and they have to plan as to when some of them might return for those that have had to, of course uh, cease operations for the time being, but the reality is that they don't necessarily know any more themselves, do they? and that can come with an awful amount of uh, pressure attached to
1: it. Well that, that's that's probably central to the situation. Uh, when you're in a leadership role, you're expected to have sufficient belief in your uh, that you can control your life and those circumstances to be able to do what you want to do. Well, right at the moment, there's just so much uncertainty. I mean, you know, we, we used to talk about the VUCA world, you know, volatility, uncertainty, complex and ambiguous. But this is an extreme form of the VUCA world. Mm. So it is extremely difficult for people to be able to say, well, I think I can control enough of what's going on to be able to achieve something. A lot of people find are finding themselves in a position where they can't control enough of what's going on.
0: and it- requires a certain level-headedness that doesn't it when things are maybe a little bit out of control just to sort of get a grip on the uh, the situation and it's a fine balance that has to be struck between being proactive and having plans in place but also being able to be reactive as well and adjust to changing guidelines and changing circumstances because as the government is announcing more new measures and more easing of restrictions um this week um, things are going to be changing aren't they and business is going to have to be essentially quite nimble in adapting to that.
1: Well, you're now um, touching upon what is the central feature of our work. Uh, We, uh, I suppose, have expertise in a concept called mental toughness. It's not about being tough in a macho sense of the word. It's about uh, our mental responses to events. Now, some of us have got the capability of responding well when things happen, even when bad things happen. We can sometimes see the opportunity, and we tend to be solution-focused. Others um, react mentally in a different way. They tend to see the problem. Uh, they become obsessed with the problem. They don't get to the solution, and they don't feel in control. And it's interesting because in the first phase of the lockdown, uh, like most organisations, everything just went quiet. Everybody rushed out to get their toilet rolls and the baked beans, and we thought, Well, oh, the world's come to." A shuddering halt. Then, all of a sudden, about five, six, seven weeks ago, we started to get inquiries, and that that trickle has turned into a flood. But we seek three very distinct themes. One is from about from leaders about themselves, Mm -hmm. about the challenges they face at dealing with this volume of uncertainty, and what we can do is we can look at their uh, their thought processes. And we can do that in a reasonable amount of detail and say, well, this is why you're not responding the way that you might like to. In normal times, minor weaknesses might not be significant. When you come under extreme pressure, some of those minor weaknesses, and we all have them, uh, can be quite significant. But the other two areas are also to do with leadership. The second area is people coming to us and saying I've now dispersed my staff. They're all working from home. I can no longer see them. I don't know what state they're in. And I'm not sure they're functioning well. And of course we we do know that uh, there is a big increase in mental health issues from people having to self-isolate. Some people like working from home but an awful lot of people don't like working from home. and An awful lot of people don't have the right kind of circumstances to work from home. You get in a 3 two-bedroom flat with three kids, it's a major challenge to work from home. And then there are people who are in the front line who are also feeling the pressure. They and employers are saying, well, I'm sending my people out every day to deliver things, to do things out there. I'm exposing them to some sort of risk. I'm not sure how this is affecting them mentally. So there's a second area, but What really interests me is that some leaders are already coming to us and saying, well, in six months' time, there will be some sort of normality. It might be a new normality. And I will need to reassemble my teams and my workforce, and I need to recover lost ground quickly. I want everybody coming back 100%. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't know what state my employees will be in. So there are, you know, those three things. One of them is a pressure on the leader themselves, but the other one is a pressure on what leaders have to do. And of course, the two come together anyway.
0: They absolutely do. And when you think about um, leaders and employees as well, having their mental fortitude really tested during this period, do you think that there are perhaps positives to be drawn from that, um, from the experience, um, that's to say, of going beyond your comfort zone and really having to muck in during a time of adversity, because I think that can breed resilience in oneself, can't it?
1: Well, absolutely. And in fact, the mental toughness concept, you used an interesting term there, fortitude. That's the term Plato used two and a half thousand years ago. And we know that, for, we've known for two and a half thousand years that fortitude is important. And it's extremely valuable. It's only recently that we've been able to understand exactly what it is and how it can be developed. And One of the key elements, possibly the most important element, is learning orientation. And that's the extent to which you learn from your life's experiences. It's one thing to go through a crisis like this. but If you come out of it and you've learned nothing, the next time a crisis, and it doesn't have to be as significant as this, occurs, you will simply do what you've done before, and you might just repeat mistakes. But smarter leaders look at what's happening, they see the opportunities, they see what, they try things, they see what works, what doesn't work, and they do emerge from it stronger. It's not just about resilience. They also come out of it with a more positive mindset. And that's important. Resilience helps you to survive. And being positive helps you to thrive. Um, we see a very significant
0: difference. And it really highlights um, the importance of experience, that doesn't it? Uh, Because when we think of inspirations, we think of mentors and we think of people in the public eye, your Nelson Mandela's, for example, your Bill Gates is in the business world, for example. But there's a lot to be said for experience being one of the greatest teachers out there, isn't there as well?
1: Oh, there is. And uh Probably one of the best areas to look for evidence of that is, of course, the world of sport. We often see young, talented athletes or sports people with an amazing amount of talent that they never make it. Um, we We can actually quite often see lesser talented athletes, cricketers, footballers, and somehow they do make it. And the difference is not their abilities. The difference is what's happening in their head. It's their mindset, their mentality. So if you want really good examples, going to the sports world is a good place to go and look at evidence of importance of mindset because it just applies to everything we do, whether it's business, whether it's education, whether it's uh, encouraging social mobility. It's important.
0: And if we think about the example of uh, the sporting world there, do you think that great leaders are essentially developed then as opposed to just being born great leaders?
1: Well, I mean, it's going to be a a bit of both. There are some people who seem to be naturally inclined to do the things that good leaders do. We know from our work that um, there are three key behaviours that followers tend to recognise in good leaders. One is determination to deliver, having a purpose. One of the reasons that followers like that is quite often they're not in, in, enough aware of the world to have their own purpose. So to have somebody in front of you who gives you a sense of purpose really motivates a lot of people. So having that sense of purpose and a determination to deliver is important. But of course, from the leader's perspective, that is about mental toughness. It's about being able to take risks and believe in yourself. But the other two elements are um, engaging with individuals. And that doesn't necessarily mean a big organization going around and, uh, you know, getting to know every single employee you've got. That's often impossible. But the way that leaders um, demonstrate their behaviors, and we're talking about leadership style here, can often be very effective. Uh, I I mean, this is a completely off-the-wall example, perhaps, but I went to see Bruce Springsteen at a concert, and I was astonished how in a big football stadium, he was able to almost make every person in that stadium engaged with him. And he just had this knack. And I realized that some people learn how to engage with individuals other people seem to just see big amorphous group in front of them. But the, the final element is engaging the team. So we're not talking about my team. We're talking about the most respected leaders that we've come across in our work are the people who create one team right across the organisation. Mm. If you just create your own team, you can often encourage the development of I call silo management. My team's alright, it's the rest. But if the leadership of an organization really promotes and develops teamwork and across an organization. It is amazingly impactful on the motivation of staff, but also on the efficiency and effectiveness of the organization.
0: It certainly is and I think that's um, hugely important and especially um, at this point in time and one important thing that you mentioned there um, as well Doug is that you advocate really trying things and taking risks um, as a leader and having some self-belief because I think that some leaders, aspiring leaders especially particularly within the younger generation, may be a little bit afraid to take even measured risks just because of a fear of failing and a fear perhaps of criticism that may come about as a result of that. Whereas Perhaps we should be telling people not to be afraid to take risks and try new things. Be willing to make mistakes and embrace that as a learning experience. Instead,
1: well, that's absolutely right. There's n- there's nothing wrong with making a mistake uh, unless you know it's some sort of extreme mistake. What what is the worst positive position you can be in is you've learned nothing from it.
0: Exactly, it's always about the the learning experience uh, because. Making mistakes isn't something that we want to be doing all of the time as um, a necessary learning curve. But when they do happen and when setbacks do occur, it's about taking the positives from that situation and learning. Because there's a there's a phrase out there, isn't there? It's win or learn instead of win or lose as such.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you just have to look at somebody like James Dyson. And when you read uh, how often he tested his vacuum cleaner and uh, until he got it right, I think he speaks about ten thousand failures and um, but ultimately, he got it right um, a lot of people would have given up, and that's a, an example of a kind of mentally tough mindset that's you know I was referring to earlier. If you've got a mindset that enables you to take risks to plow on to have goals to m- make the effort and to learn from all of that you're going to get somewhere.
0: That's absolutely right. And um, Doug, if you had to select yourself um, who you thought was probably the greatest leader, living or dead, um, who would you actually put in that role and why?
1: Right, that's a really tough question. Um,
0: I imagine there'd be quite a few contenders for this one for sure.
1: There are quite a few contenders. I mean, Mandela stands out. Uh, and there's a danger here that uh, I might offend a l- number of people, but certainly Margaret Thatcher stands out. Um, but I'm going to give the game away. I'm a Manchester United supporter. I think one of the outstanding leaders or examples of leadership has got to be Alec Ferguson. Mm. He knew what he was doing and he was able to apply leadership for such a long time. Not just his time at Manchester United, but his time before. What, what he was able to achieve with just about anybody who came his way is quite remarkable.
0: I think that's absolutely right. Um, people do, um, especially in a sporting context, uh, forget about his achievements at Aberdeen beforehand, for example. And that's a massive, um, massive um, yes. example of taking anybody really and really getting the, uh, the best out of them. And I think he also... Um, had a good element of man management about him as well, didn't he? He knew when somebody needed maybe a little bit of a kick up the backside to motivate them, but maybe others needed an arm around them as well.
1: Well, that's absolutely right. He was, you know, this is about being able to understand your leadership style and adjust it for the situation. Um, the number of ex players who will talk about him, but will describe it in entirely different ways. Some will talk about the hairdryer, some will talk about the father figure. And you think, is this the same person they're talking about? It was, and he just knew how – and this is what I meant about engaging with individuals. He, he knew what made each person tick, or he knew that people were different. And the problem with uh, a lot of management practices, is we tend to treat staff as they're all the same, but they're not. They're as individual as you, you and I, and the more we understand that and recognize that and do something about it, the better response we get as leaders.
0: I think there's certainly a lot to be uh, said for that and um, although we are short on time um, on today's um, episode, uh, Doug, before I do um, let you go, what I would like to understand um, in terms of the future of leadership is what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself and for AQR International as a company, but also not just in navigating the COVID-19 situation, but your ambitions for beyond the pandemic going forward as well.
1: Well, uh, that's actually a very good question because uh, I work with Professor Peter Klopp, so Although I'm a practitioner and I work with, you know, in real life cases, we all always make sure that what we're doing has got a sound academic uh, backing. And um, what we are beginning to see, but we need to do a little bit more work to evidence this, is this notion of mental toughness is important. What we're beginning to see is that people who are more men- mentally tough before the pandemic seem to be. Surviving and a lot seem to be even thriving. They're beginning to get a grip and they appear to be even enhancing their mental toughness. Those who are mentally sensitive, we see are possibly becoming more mentally sensitive. So, one of the thoughts is that we're almost going to come out with kind of two groups of people the people who are ready to get on with it and the people who have been kind of battered into submission. And that's going to be a challenge because half of the world will get up and start running and get on with it and half will be there still bruised and battered.
0: Yes, it's certainly going to be um, a challenge in uh, picking those uh, people up. But I think um, from uh, certainly what you've uh, told me today, that AQR will very much be on the forefront of that. Um, And I also think um, once we do start to see the fog lifting on this current situation and we see how... um, the working environment is changing we could perhaps revisit this and have you back on the program to just see what state we're in as a country and as a workforce and we can also catch up on how AQRs doing as well doug but for now um, I, yes
1: i'd love to and by then we will have some um some data and some evidence so of that we'll be able to share
0: exactly um it's always beneficial i think to look upon these things though, retrospectively absolutely and um with regards to today's programme, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to come on and speak with me today. Um, it's been most insightful um, as an experience for myself, and I imagine that will also prove the case for the listeners. Thank you ever so much for taking um, the time to come on and speak with me. It's been a real, real pleasure.
1: Thank you very much, Scott. I've really, really enjoyed it.
0: Likewise, Doug. Um, do take care and do uh, stay safe as well with everything still going on at the moment. That was Doug Straharchik, the Chief Executive and Managing Director of AQR International. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with former England Test cricket captain Sir Andrew Strauss. Sir Andrew is the current Director of Cricket for the England and Wales Cricket Board, and he is also the England cricket captain with the second highest number of Test victories in history, as well as being only one of three captains to have secured the Ashes both home and away in Australia, I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir andrew and that 's coming up next
2: hello and welcome i 'm Jonathan White, and today we are joined by Sir Andrew Strauss, former captain of the England cricket team and former director of cricket at the ECB Sir Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today.
3: real pleasure to be here. thank you
2: The pleasure is all of ours, you know. And you've had a distinguished career, as I said, both on and off the pitch in English cricket, recognised not least with your knighthood for services to sport just last year. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. Um, Now, there have been ups and downs in the career, like any career, including public and private disagreements with certain individuals. And on that front, I think what everybody wants to know
3: biggest sort of poison chalice of all time and the you know (laughs) sort of a litany of england captains had sort of been churned up by the job prior to me taking over so there was that sort of realization this is going to be a tough thing to do um you're gonna have to dig pretty deep but i think actually the most important thing was sort of just pushing all that noise to one side and just clarifying okay if i'm going to do this job legacy and what we could do to make something positive come out of you know this experience we'd all been through. And so after she died in December uh, 2018, uh, I came back and launched a foundation with two f- focuses. Number one, to fund research into these rare forms of lung cancer. These mm. are the non-smoking lung cancers. Um, five to 7,000 people each year in this country are diagnosed with these. No one knows